That's lovely. Thank you, Mark. I would like to reiterate um, Mark's earlier welcome. And it's great to have Andy and Katie with us and uh, our, our people from Tacoma. I've had a little word with them earlier. I know there are a few other people here visiting tonight who I don't maybe normally come to the 6.30 here. So you're especially as welcome, especially welcome too. And of course, our regulars are, are welcome. Of course, it's, um, it, it's nice to be here. I was talking to these guys from Tacoma and they tell me they're doing okay with the Glasgow accent. So... Um, I, I was telling them, well, this is kind of another one they'll have to get used to. But um, I shall do my best to enunciate uh, as properly as I can. Um, I did notice, I don't know if Cam Best is here tonight or not, I, I did notice that a fortnight ago he spoke from down in the floor. But um, he, um, he's just got this tiny wee bit of an advantage, you know, oh. <laughs> Not much, you know, just a bit of an advantage over me. So I've sort of decided to, to speak from up here so at least you can, at least you can see me. For those, of, for those of you who are visiting, um, I, I would just, a brief introduction. I am George, a very ordinary um, kind of guy, saved by God's grace, just trying to do the best he can, living the Christian life. I've not got it fully sorted yet. I'm still struggling with First Thessalonians 4 and 11. It says there, um, study to be quiet. And um, whether because of that or in spite of that, um, Mark has, has very generously uh, allowed me to share some stuff with you tonight. And I would say probably quite courageously. And um, I, I sort of wanted to, to try and uh, do something that um, would be a, a wee bit of a help, probably with youth in mind. But um, don't worry if you're a wee bit older, you'll be fine. Because as I was looking over some of these points, I'm sitting thinking, can I really say that? Have I done that myself? I, th I need to pay attention to this as well. So hopefully we should be okay. The other thing I just would like to clarify is I have a few notes here on a sort of a, a rolling notepad on my phone just to keep me in track, um, just in case you think I'm watching the tennis <laughs> at, 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 the, at the same time as I'm preaching. I, do, I wish I was that good, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not, I need to pay attention. So I have, a few, I have a few notes here to try and keep me on track and um, just um, with, the, with the view of sort of trying to get you home before bedtime. And um, no, I do, promise, I do promise to be good. I want to just read um, a portion tonight. It's from John's Gospel. It's not that big a portion. And um, it's from John 15. And um, I'm reading it verse 18. I'm just using a little... And Biker's Bible here it uses the contemporary English version. It's just a wee bit of a nicer flow than, than my old King James. And it says, if the people, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, if the people of the world hate you, just remember that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, its people would love you. But you don't belong to the world. I have chosen you to leave the world behind. And that is why its people hate you. Remember how I told you that servants are not greater than their master. So if people mistreat me, they will mistreat you. If they do what I say, they will do what you say. People will do to you exactly what they did to me. They will do it because you belong to me and they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuses for their sin. Everyone who hates me also hates my father. I have done things that no one else has ever done. If they had not seen me do these things, 
they would not be guilty. But they did see me do these things, and they still hate me and my father too. That is why the scriptures are true when they said, people hated me for no reason. I will send you the spirit who comes from the father and shows what is true. The spirit will help you and will tell you about me. Then you will also tell others about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Just a couple of verses at the start of chapter 16. I am telling you this to keep you from being afraid. You will be chased out of the synagogues and the time will come when people will kill you and think they are doing God a favor. They will do these things because they don't know either the father or me. I am saying this to you now so that when the time comes, you will remember what I have said. We pray that God will bless the reading of his precious word. I'm just going to have another wee word of prayer here just to ask for help. Precious Father, help me to forget about preaching and eloquence and peer approval. Take me up as a mere vessel cracked and scuffed. Help me to strike a chord or to touch a heart rather than hit a nerve. Pour from me something that will enlighten, encourage, and empower your children here this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is quite um, a rather stark passage from John's Gospel here. Um, If the world hated you, remember, it hated me first. It's very like black and white. And there is a reason for that, because we're in a little section here of John's Gospel. Just from... um, It's from chapter 12 to chapter 17. And in that little section, there's nothing in it except like two things nearly. It starts off with uh, Mary breaking the ointment over the Lord Jesus' feet. But apart from that, it's all about Jesus talking to his disciples. Or in chapter 17, talking to God basically about his disciples. That's that's what that little section is all about. And we're kind of in the middle of that. And it's conditioned by one little recurring phrase that just pops up over and over and over again, about 10 times. I can't remember them all. Let me just read some of them off to you. John 12. It's the thought that Jesus is not going to be here for that much longer. John 12. Mary kept the ointment for his burial. That's what Jesus said. And at that same conversation, he says, and the poor you have always with you, me you have not always with you. John 12 again, the hour has come that the Son of Man must be glorified. John 12 again, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. John 12 again, he says, yet a little while, a little while, the light is with you. John 13, Jesus knew that the hour was come when he should depart out of the world. Again in John 13, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Where I go, you cannot come. John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. In John 14, again, the Father will send the, the comforter to you in my name. The implication being there, in my stead, or if I go. And so this little section here where we have read from, it's just, it's just chock-a-block full of the idea that Jesus is not going to be with the disciples for very much longer. And that gives an absolute gravity to everything that you get in this passage here. These are, this is last minute advice. And I've never had the experience in life where um, a loved one, I've lost loved ones, but the situation has never just worked out that someone who was going to depart this earth, you know, could give me some sort of fairly last minute, you know, words of wisdom. That's just never happened to me. 
probably hasn't happened to a lot of us. Probably for young people, the nearest thing that you'll get to that is the advice you'll get from a parent the first time that you're allowed to do anything. You know, like the first time you can stay over somewhere with your friends, the first time you go to a concert, when you set off for uni or when you set off to the far end of the country for another job, you'll get this kind of heavy sort of advice and, and questions and it's stuff like, have you got money? Like, you know, this is deadly serious. Have you got money? Have you got your phone with you? Is it charged? Have you got your phone charger with you? Have you got tickets to whatever event you're going to? Call me when you get there. Don't drink too much. Stay with your friends. Don't leave your friends. And of course, some, if you're off to Aberdeen Uni, have you got your big coat with you? <laughs> and, th- and this is the kind of real heavy kind of stuff that, that you get, sort of last-minute advice. And that's where we're at here. And as part of that, as part of that, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you remember, guys, if the world hates you, if the world hates you, it hated me first. And that's what I kind of want to look at. And that's why it's stark. We, I also have to say that we can only relate to this in a small way. These disciples, uh, 10 of these guys were to die either by crucifixion or by the sword or by stoning. These guys suffered a persecution like what we have no idea about. And I am also aware that there are nations in the world today where Christians are suffering the same kind of thing. If, If I was speaking, say, at an open door seminar and I wouldn't be the guy to do that, there are people here much better qualified... I I would draw on that kind of stuff. That would be the the angle I'd be coming from. We cannot claim to be coming from that angle. We live in westernized nations, whether it be from Tacoma or from here. Uh, We we live in nations, whether you agree with it or not, there is a link between government and and church uh, and state and church. And so that affords us us a lot of protection, which we should be very grateful for. So we We can't claim to be in the position these guys are in. But we do receive hostility from the world around us. And we can't claim that if we're witnessing for God. And some of the lessons in this here are applicable to us. That's what I am looking at tonight. I have to regard the congregation tonight. And we're in Western Europe. And we, we get a milder form of persecution. A milder form. The hatred may be as much, I have no idea. But the manifestation of it is controlled by some very good laws that we have and very good limits we have put in that stuff, which we should be grateful for. But I do understand that there are some Christians tonight who, who could understand this a whole lot better. If we look at the thing, if the world hate, hates you, it hated me first. Hmm. Now, that requires some caution with regard to the interpretation of it. Because I know a few Christians and they kind of, I don't know whether they're mathematicians or not, maybe they're into science, but, but they kind of either draw a graph of this or they sort of extrapolate this information here. And, and so, so they sort of think in their heads, oh, we can do this kind of graph. Hmm, the more I am hated, oh, the more like Jesus I am. I would suggest that's something you have to be very careful with before you draw that from this passage. You've got to be careful that, that, you know, I have known some guys, you know, that upset everybody all around them, even preaching. And, you know, and they looked at you and, you know, hey, that was a good job I did there. And it's like, see, 
I'm hated. And they felt they were doing more God's will because they were hated more. And it's a very dangerous assumption. It might just be because they've got this immeasurable gift for getting up everybody's noses. And it might not necessarily be a Christ-likeness at all. So we've got to have caution about that. On the other hand, on the other hand, if we are sailing through life, never the tiniest bit of opposition about anything. We never run into anybody who sort of, you know, gives us a dig about our Christian faith or we never get any opposition whatsoever. We just so fit in with the world here. Well, I think we need to look at that as well, perhaps. Maybe we're not popping our heads up above the parapet. And there is a balance to be had somewhere. And I read a quote, a really good quote. Um, Apparently, it was from Tom Wright, uh, the church bishop and author that many of you will have read his works. And apparently, he said... Um, that everywhere that Paul went, there was a riot. And he says, everywhere I go, they make tea. And that was a guy that was analyzing himself. He was saying, is my balance right? Is my balance right? Am I, I, I don't want to upset everybody all around me, but at the same time, I want to be a faithful servant of God. And it's difficult to get that balance. And if you think about it as well, say, if the world hate you, what does it mean if the world hate you? Does that mean everybody in the absolute whole entire world? And I would say not. There are three words in the New Testament for the world. One of them is eon, which, or aeon, I have no idea how you pronounce these words. My New Testament Greek's quite light. And it's aeon, but we do get our word eon from it, and that means a time period. So when you go to Matthew and it says, neither in this world nor in the next world, what it means is neither in this era of time or in the era of time to come. Um, you've got the oikumene, um, and it is just the globe that we live on. The round ball, the third rock from the sun, if you like. Our word here for world is cosmos. And that's where we take our, we talk about the cosmos, it's all the planets, and we say cosmopolitan. If somebody is, you know, well-traveled and a person of the world, we say they're very cosmopolitan. And um, the essential meaning in, in New Testament Greek of that word cosmos, it actually means arrangement. That's what it means, arrangement. And so what it refers to is this entire world setup. It's it's the world setup that we have, including all the people who know not Christ as their Savior, their ideas, their ambitions, their designs for mankind, the entire setup. That's what it's talking about here. So this hatred is not personal. This is, this is not a personal hatred. This is just the antagonism that comes from the world around us in general. Oh, It may be exhibited by individuals toward us, but it comes from the fact that the world is so different to us and doesn't doesn't understand us. This world, cosmos, it's, if we look at it, it's actually, it's the world that was made by God in John 1. It's the world that God so loved that he sent his son to die for, his only son to die for, in John 3.16. This is the world that Christ has over has overcome in our John chapter 16 here. But this is also the world that Christ sees us as being separate from. I'll explain that in a minute or two. Separate from in the sense that we are different. 
And you get a sense of that in John chapter 19. When, sorry, it's John chapter 17. When Jesus is praying to his father and he, he says, Father, he says, I'm not praying for the world, he says. I pray for those that you have given me. That was his disciples. Now, that didn't mean I'm, when he said, I'm not praying for the world. That didn't mean that he never prayed for the world. Or, this is the guy that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So that's not what's in question here. What he's saying is, no, I want to leave all the world aside for a minute. I want to pray for those that are mine. So very clearly, in a sense, Jesus sees us as being kind of separate from the world. And, and there, are ways that that, there are ways that that happens. And that actually brings us to our next point. Jesus says to the disciples, he says, look, they will hate you. In our case, you may receive some antagonism because you are not of this world. No, it's like the hatred. It requires some careful looking at. Because again, I, know, I, I have Christian friends that say, we are not of this world. The Bible it does say that here. We are not of this world. And clearly, you can see that they have taken that very literally. Because a five-minute conversation with them, and you, you can see immediately they are definitely on another planet. And th- that, is not, that is not what the intention of this here is, when it says we are, we are not of this world. It, we cannot take this totally literally. If you compare Hebrews thirteen sixteen, where the author there exhorts the Christians, it says, this isn't the King James, it's the only thing I can quote in, don't forget to do good and to communicate. That, that's, you couldn't do that if, you, if you're blocked off from absolutely everybody. You couldn't do that. And um, again, it says Galatians, uh, Galatians 6 and 10, it says, do good to all mankind, especially those who are the household of faith. You couldn't do that either if you had just kind of you know, blocked yourself off. So this verse here, we are not of this world, is not a license or a swipe card to disengage from absolutely everything that's going on around about us. And that is a thing that we need to be careful about. I can take you to individuals who are quite disengaged. I can take you to churches that are disengaged. They see themselves as being of a separate world, the world outside there. And I'll tell you something else. Those churches are not all of the one denomination. It's very easy to fall into that trap where we become insular and we have almost taken this as kind of literal. So disengagement is not an option. But there are differences that we cannot ignore between ourselves and the world. We are not one of their own. Jesus says that here. We are not of their family. We are of the family of God. We are from essentially a different family. We represent God and Jesus to this world that they don't even know yet. I have no idea. I just throw in at this point, if you're with us tonight and you're not happy enough that you know this Savior and this God, if you feel that you are still in that big wide world outside, please don't leave here without talking to some of us. We would love to talk to you. We, we want you in our world. We want you in Jesus' world, not in the big world out there. I just leave that there because that is not, that is not my remit tonight. But I, I just say that. I, I, I don't know everyone in the audience. And we also are coming 
ourselves and the world around us, we are coming at life from two different gateways. We came in two different entrances. We came in through the narrow gate of Matthew chapter 7. They are coming at life from the broad gate of that same chapter, which the Bible says leads to destruction. And this is essentially why that we can expect to take some adverse reaction, some bile now and again, some attrition, um, some jibes, some ridicule. This is why we can expect to get this from the world around us. And Jesus is warning the disciples about that. And I think as I look at the faces of young people, it would be remiss of me not to prepare you for the fact that that could quite well, that could quite well happen as you progress in your Christian pathway. And what Jesus did here was he ran a couple of things past them just to give them an idea of what might happen to them. Now, they were drastic things that I pray and I hope will not happen to any of you guys. Probably won't happen to, to the most of us. But, he, but it sets the principle that Jesus enlightened them as to, as to things that might lie, ha- lie ahead. So in keeping with that, I have sort of tried to, you know, think of a few things that you guys might encounter young and old, along life's pathway, where you might receive some attrition from the world outside. It can start in school, where you are holding on to your faith in the Word of God, where we believe that behind all this that we inhabit, there is a Creator. Starting to get some attrition, some competition to that viewpoint now in schools, um, if you're able to defend your position st- having respect to your teachers, that's, that's fine. You must do that within those constraints. You might find that there are also a few teachers who aren't happy with the, the current syllabi, but that's just one of the ways. You, you may get some aggravation or some ridicule if you say, don't always run with the in crowd at school because you want to befriend maybe this guy or girl in the playground who doesn't fit in all that well or maybe not great social skills, but you look as a Christian and you think, no, no, I I want to try and show some compassion and bring that person on a little. That can get sometimes ridicule. At uni, at uni, when you, when you, some of you guys will be heading to uni and, and, and you show some restraint in Freshers Week, you don't go completely nuts. And I worked for university for 10 years, by the way. So I have some experience of mopping up some of the, the collateral there. And, 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 and you, you, sorry guys, but, but I do. And, um, you know, and, and, and you decide, no, no, I'm not going to go bananas here. I'll be a bit restrained. And maybe, maybe because you read in Philemon's chapter four, where it says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Maybe you've read in first Timothy three, where, where deacons and deaconesses are advised not to be given to too much wine. You know, that's that, that sort of thing. So maybe that makes you stand out and gets you a few odd looks and and gets you a few jibes at university. Or maybe because the first club you join at university is the Christian Union. And that that could get you a little bit of ribbing there or a few odd looks or a suggestion that you should join something else. All these little things just can pop their head up with us. And, and can set us back in our heels, can set us back in our heels. It's just that little bit of, of, of attrition and mild aggro that comes from the world around about us. Then you go to work. Whoa, there is nowhere where a Christian can suffer sometimes like at work. I have some experience. You refuse to take shortcuts. 
This is because you've read in Colossians where it says, whatsoever you do, this is, this is serious stuff. Anything you do, do it as unto the Lord, not as unto an earthly master. So you're saying, no, I won't take shortcuts. I'm doing this as unto the Lord. No, I won't put 12 hours when that only took 10 hours. I'm doing this as unto the Lord. It's dishonesty. And I can assure you that will, if you take that stand as a Christian at work, that will get you some grief in many, many quarters. Or maybe when you graduate, maybe you find yourself trying to bring some compassion to the world of corporate finance or some integrity to the world of marketing. All these things can just get you some, some backlash. And just as you grow up and as you try to take part in society, just opposition in general, as we as Christians try to influence and to moderate some of the decisions that are being taken by society today. And some of these things, I am not taking sides on some of the debates that I'm going to mention. I'm just saying these debates are there. I am not taking sides. That's not my remit either. But as we try to moderate rapid societal change today as Christians and put in some input that will make the outcome perhaps a little bit better, a little bit more compassionate. And I'm thinking of things that, that uh, how rapidly our society's laws are changing with regard to how we identify ourselves and how we define relationships, um, new attitudes as to how we can act at the very inception of life, what is okay, and at the very end of life, laws are changing there rapidly. As Christians, you might want to try and have some input there. And um, a central government tries to muscle in, perhaps, on what many Christian parents feel um, is, is purely their responsibility. And as we speak out in general against injustice and greed and, and, um, and poor distribution of our nation and our world's resources um, and finances. And as we as Christians speak, speak out against those things, that stuff's not always popular. It's, it's okay. That, that's, popular. that's okay in here. It's, um, Ailey and I were just talking earlier in the week about how easy it is to be a Christian in KBC. It's not a hard job. But whenever you go out into the world and, and try to take your stand as a Christian and influence people from a Christian perspective... You will get some flack, absolutely. And one of the things that I do think is that for our younger generation, as, as people move towards communicating on social media more and more, I think that you guys will... I just think that social media is a very easy place to spew hatred. And with very few consequences for the person that spews hatred. It's just very easy done. I think you may well find that. It's quite interesting. I think my generation has somewhat let your generation down there a little bit with regard to uh, social media and stuff like that. My generation, we, first we spent 10 years, if we're honest, we all spent 10 years saying, this will never catch on. Never. I'll never take off. And, and then, we, then we sort of, mm, well, aye, maybe it has, you never know. Maybe it has taken off. But, but, but also, when, when you guys were growing up, we as parents, in the verbal and real world, we taught you how to communicate. Um, we taught you how not to be aggressive. Um, 
we, we, we taught you how to be diplomatic, how to get your point across, um, how, to say, how to tell somebody at something truthful and pointed, but with love. And of course, as society moves on to communicating on different platforms, we have kind of just abandoned this younger generation. Just, you guys just carry on. And surely there are skills I am digressing a little bit here, but I feel passionately about this. Surely there are skills that need to be transferred to the digital world. And I think there's an opportunity for ministry there. You know, how do we communicate in the digital world? Um, You know, without eye contact, without hand movement, with no body language. How do we do that? These are, I think there's room for, there's room for ministry there. I'm, I'm too old probably to, to do it properly, but I think there's room for ministry there to help our young people to do that. As it is at the minute, very, very easy to, to get a whole pile of hatred and bile on the internet, uh, just back from something. If you post something with a, in a religious vein, and I, uh, you know, Christian vein, I think that's going to happen more and more. Just as a I'm, I'm doing not too bad, just as a little digression. I actually was at the receiving end of some of this, um, not to do with Christian testimony. Um, I was sort of dandering about one day. I, I wasn't busy enough, and you know those kind of days you can get into baller very easy. And um, I'm sort of, you know, shuffling through the internet, and, and, I, and I see this. It wasn't, it wasn't Facebook, it was just the internet, and I see this, like, forum, you know, where... Um, you know, people were talking about new inventions and stuff. And I'm a very green, I'm a green guy, by the way. My carbon footprint's very low. I'm not advocating that, that we should work hard to destroy the planet. But there was this post, and um, it was these people were waxing lyrical about um, this new car that had come out, new electric car. It had a range of 145 miles, and it only took four hours to charge up again. And wow, this was brilliant. And this little gremlin popped up inside my head and he was sort of saying to me, you know, you should make some comment there. Now, this little gremlin, he's a bit of a petrol head, you know, and mischievous. So I chipped into the conversation. I goes, ah, well, that's all very well, this car with a range of 145 miles and, and you can charge it in four hours. I goes, I have a 10-year-old diesel Golf. And I goes, it's got a range of 600 miles and you can recharge it in four minutes. So, it was mischievous. Well, the bile and hatred that came back from that post was un... I was staggered by it. The nicest comment, the only one that's repeatable, was from a Canadian lady. She says, George, you are a dinosaur. <laughs> and, and I'm still reeling from all the, from all the other bile. And... But do you know that the hatred that came out wasn't the scariest thing? Do you know what the scariest thing was? The petrolhead gremlin wanted me to get stuck in there and give them a taste of their own medicine. That was the scary thing. Luckily, we got him calmed down. And I, and I contented myself with, with posting back to the Canadian lady. I said, well, I think you'll find, you know, that, you know, with reference to me being a dinosaur, I, I think you'll find that since I am on the internet, I'm probably not extinct just yet. Her, even her response be, be, became unprintable. And um, so, 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 so that was it. And I... And I say, I say that just to give you guys a flavour of the fact that 
I think that the internet is, is a place where in the future you could very easily get some, get some uh, backlash from. To finish, what can we do about this? How do we steal ourselves to be prepared for this? Well, in ver- there are people on the planet tonight and they're clinging to Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, for, for their very life says, fear not them who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. We're not in that position. But we can look to Ephesians 6 where we are told to take the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation. Remember the armory that we have got as we go out there. Remember the armory. We can look to Hebrews chapter 11 where we got all those heroes of faith. Remember we did a series on all those heroes of faith and it says a whole pile of them. And we read there, it says some of them were tortured, flogged, shackled, imprisoned, stoned to death, put to the sword. And surely, as we read those scriptures, surely we can say to ourselves that the, any attrition and ill feeling and wee bit of spite and aggravation and verbal abuse sometimes that we get in our world as a result of standing up for Jesus, surely, we can to- surely that's tolerable when we consider what other people have had to do. Surely that's tolerable. And there's practical stuff we can do. If we go to Romans 1 and 6, where the writer there says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Let's put that, let's put that into everyday life. Let's do little things to help strengthen us so that if we get criticism, we can take it a little bit easier. Um, things like, you know, if you're just with a couple of friends, like give, give thanks for your food in a restaurant. You'll get a few odd looks. You'll get a few odd looks. But it'll get you used to those odd looks. It'll kind of get you used to that. Um, things like, for, for those, of, those of you who are going to new jobs, new uni and stuff, find a way, find a way to, to come out as a Christian. Some way that's not in your face, just to let people know. I suggest for those of you going off to pastures new, that you try and do that early on in your new situation. It lets people know where you stand. The longer you leave that, you go into maybe a workplace and... You know, and, and, and you sort of laugh in a half-hearted way about a couple of jokes, you know, that are a bit borderline, you know, and you think, I can't, I, can't, I can't really say I'm a Christian just after that. I'll tell them in a week or two's time. I, I, let's put our heads above the parapet and, and say, no, here's where I'm coming from. And you will find that many people will actually appreciate that rather than if you be a closet Christian. You may find it actually gets you less aggro. But ultimately... Ultimately, with regard to worldly criticism and hatred, surely we should be going back to our chapter here where Jesus said to the disciples, no servant is above his master. In the real world, you don't expect the servants to be running about having, having a better time than the people that are employing them. Although sometimes I don't know. But Jesus says, and what he's saying is, you will get this grief because of me. It's because of me you will get it. Surely it should be an honour for us to suffer a little bit of aggro in this world for our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to finish up. If I had to leave you with a kind of a punchline that you could take away with you, I would say, let's be courageous. Let's go out there into the world and take some flack for Jesus. Because he took some flack for us. God bless you. Thanks for listening.